On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing The Wizard of Speed and Time from 1988. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. I'm Brandon, and as always with me is your co-host, Cullen. That's me. Welcome to episode one, featuring our discussion on the 1988 film, The Wizard of Speed and Time. Cult Cinema Cavalcade is a bi-weekly movie podcast that finds Cullen and myself discussing a film from cinema's past, considered but not limited to being a cult classic. As a disclaimer, every episode will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. All right, we're here. Our first episode, the debut episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Figure you should get a little background on where this is coming from. Cullen and I are great movie friends, have been for a long time, and one of our hobbies to do with each other is watch crazy movies. Good, bad, so bad they're good. I would say nearly every time we're together, that's the thing that we do. People would probably be like, that's all you do, and we're like, we have a blast. (laughs) Yes. If you don't know the true art of seeing things that are either obscure or just plain bad, then I'm I'm, I'm sorry for you. I'm, I'm sorry you can't not take that enjoyment in life. Right. I enjoy the ridiculous movies. Give me something that is a glorious monumental failure over something safe and mediocre 10 times out of 10. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just as long as effort is put into it, like a genuine effort, not just like, let's just turn it out for money. Not sharknadoing like, where it's like, hey, let's go make something bad, something that's genuinely someone's heart and soul to something that may not have worked. Or maybe it's something that's just like, cranks it up and just goes for it you know yeah we don't need to uh, see transmorphers we don't need to see our gargantuan we don't need to see these kind of things yeah we yeah we want the real deal if you the listeners ask for it we may we may reconsider that but for the time being we're not picking them i know there's a few movies that i know that we're not going to do we have a a list when we started this, it said, these are the things that we want to do. And this was uh, this was one of them. Just so you get a background, while we call ourselves the cult cinema cavalcade, and you, know, you may have one idea when you think of cult movies, but it's a good generalization for what we're doing here. But we want to talk about weird movies, outrageous movies, awesome movies, B movies, Z movies, black sheep sequels, and you know, stuff nobody remembers that may get dug up and be like, oh my gosh, we won't be doing like new movies of the week, but... You know, we, yeah, may, it, it, we may dig up, like, Commando or something like that. It won't just be Troll 2 or, you know, today's Wizard of Speed and Time. It, there's a yeah. wide range of what we're going to cover to keep, it, know, keep for, it interesting. For us to do a new release, it would have to be a real dumpster fire for us to for, to put on this show. Immediately, yeah. yeah. So, with that said, uh, we should probably dig into our first film, Wizard of Speed and Time. You want to give us a plot synopsis, Cullen? A Hollywood filmmaker makes a short for an evil film studio. Unbeknownst to him, the producer has placed a bet of $25,000 that he won't come up with anything useful. Luckily, our film creator gets help from his friends. This film is directed and written by Mike Jitlov, and it stars Jitlov himself in the lead, as well as Richard Kay, Paige Moore, Devin Cherigino, Steve Brody, 
and the lovable John Masari. So Colin, you brought this one to the table, uh, not me. How did you find out about the Wizard of Speed and Time? Well, in college, uh, I had a couple of roommates, and one of them knew about this movie, and we we thought, like, that's not a real movie. What are you talking about? It's like, no, it's it's actually, I want to see it. Let's go see if we can find it. So we went out to, I don't know, very, no, it was the first place we went to rent this movie. They had it. I have never seen it before or since in any store of any kind, but it, for whatever reason, it was there. So uh, we rented it, and it did not disappoint in the sheer amount of zaniness that you would expect from a movie called The Wizard of Speed and Time. My first thoughts on seeing this is a crazy movie. (laughs) <laughs> it's really something. I mean, it will not lose your attention. That's one thing. Now, this thing hits the ground running. I thought it starts with an opening short, and I thought this is like a Terry Gilliam cartoon, but it's not. It's more lighthearted, or it's not. It, it, it has a better flow, and it's more innocent. That's what it is. It's not like boobs with wings and horns with butts. It's just, uh, it's a fun little thing at the beginning. Yeah, I thought, I definitely agree with you on the Gilliam thing. That That's, I mean, it's really there. It, it kind of felt to me, it was a mixture of like, sort of like British television and public access. The look of it kind of felt like that way to me. <laughs> and then sort of has almost in trauma territory at times, a lot of the characters, but it doesn't quite reach there and it succeeds where trauma kind of fails a lot of the time. Yeah, it's trauma with better acting and less nudity is what it is. And better film stock. So let's cut into this movie. It opens with a couple producers. One is named Lucky Striker, and it looks like he'd be Ron Jeremy's father to me. <laughs> he absolutely has that feel, yes. Yeah. I, w- I was very glad that his hog did not come out. He's like, uh, you know, talking about, you know, wizards. You're like, this is my wand. I'm like, oh, it's... Don't direct with that. This is awful. It's an awful movie. The other one is named Harvey, and they take a look at uh, the demo tape from Mike Jitlov, who Mike Jitlov plays Mike Jitlov in this movie. And they take a look. They're they're looking for someone to do this effect show, and they take a look at this demo. And this demo, it looks, it made me feel like I'm getting ready to watch some science show on PBS. I don't know about you, but it was like <laughs> mysteries yeah, of the that, universe, or like definitely had that that feel. I had a, a three two one contact vibe. Bingo. Going on. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> PBS. Where, where it was like, is this cool or is this stupid? I can't tell. It, it was like Animato? Is that what it was called? Yes. that's. What, I assume that's what it was called because it was all over his reel. I don't know why. It's the first of a lot of demos we see from him. Do you think those were these were made for the movie or they were just like demos that he had anyway and he incorporated them into the movie? I would be surprised if he made anything for this movie that he hadn't already done. Any of the peppering of these demo reels, I'm sure they were all in there. It's just like, and I can put this here and that way people can see what I can do. Although there's no real reason to do that because there's constant stop motion and visual effects going on in this effects crazy film and i think a lot of people could watch it and not realize how much effects are in this film they would just think like why is why are things moving so oddly it's it's because he just put stop motion just like just of him just like walking is stop motion and the background is stop motion sometimes just because it's like his style it's very unusual so uh, a title card tells us this is taking place in 1977 in hollywood or maybe another dimension but you get this the producers apparently are in some hot water there's a board of i think japanese investors that give one of the producers say this is his last chance this tv show better work out and they're freaking out 
and he says to bring in Mike Jitlov. So they call him, and we get to see his house. You mean the Pee Wee Herman of special effects house? Pee Wee Herman, that- Doc Brown. This this house is nuts. Yeah, it is. It's it's wall to wall Rube Goldberg. Like, and some of it's kind of. <laughs> Some of it is excessive, but uh, you just have to roll with it. And then we find it's not his. It's his mom's house. He's like done this to his mom's house. This is the (laughs) the giant nerd living in his mom's basement, literally. Everything from his phone to everything's got to be something kooky. Yeah, you're right. Even his phone. You can't just pick up a phone. There's got to be lights and stuff moving on it. It feels like we're going to be a science show for kids is starting when we get introduced to him. It's like, oh, welcome (laughs) to the world of Jitlov, kids. (laughs) <laughs> Today we will boil water and then melt the face off your pet dog or something like that. I mean, <laughs> it's the worst science program ever. <laughs> probably would go off the air before it finished airing. <laughs> um, but he uh, he gets the call and he, he gets uh, he go, he gets all excited and gets on his crazy bike and heads to yeah. the studio his winged hat i guess he's a real fan of hermes or something i don't under i don't know it's, it's just another thing that just makes him like i'm kooky gang yeah, he's got his bike with the, like the electronic protecting system on it that is a constant gag yes. throughout the film of people just trying to take his bike and getting shocked exactly he has a super powerful battery on it apparently more powerful than a car battery see th- <laughs> that's the thing if this guy is able to hook up something that can i'm trying to like it's basically like a stun gun attached to his bike i mean nothing shoots out but it has enough electricity to actually stun someone because they're shaking the whole time they're touching the bike it seems to me if he has this technology it would be better used to sell to i don't know 3m or some defense contractor or something like that as opposed to making stop motion shows and yeah this guy thinks all he has to offer the world is special effects yet he could probably get some really good engineering jobs and like you said defense like he's holding back he could give to the world in far probably better ways maybe i don't know but he wants to he wants to make people happy i guess we 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 hear that later in the movie about how much he loves to make people happy so right and he's really weird he's got like special powers too because do you notice how there was like little glances his glasses would light up or he'd touch something and he'd go like green and yeah like there's like sparks coming off his fingers just occasionally just because like he'll point at someone and then sparks fly out of his finger like what does no one notice this does no one notice that he's a wizard yes (laughs) yes they think he's being a character he's really just making a documentary about himself there's this uh, song that plays while he's on his way to the studio like every song in this movie i i love uh but this one it's funny. It starts off really sweet and innocent about, you know, Hollywood's the place where dreams come true. And then a couple lines later, it talks about selling your soul to make it big in Hollywood. It's like, whoa, what the hell? Where is this coming from, Mike? It's crazy that he's he's riding his bike and he's going through Hollywood Boulevard and they you know show all these big things and I 
I used to live years ago off of Hollywood Boulevard, and I used to always say when I'd uh, leave on a vacation or come visit when I came back, the whole place had changed. But watching this movie and seeing what they did, it made me feel like it hadn't changed much because this was 88, and I lived, lived there in the OOs, and I was like, wow, it's amazing how many things didn't change from to when I lived there when I used to say, man, this, this street just changes you know, daily. It was weird. It was a weird thing to see how things don't exactly change there. That was something I wondered about that your perspective would be a lot different than mine on this. Like how much when you like saw some of this stuff, was there anything in there like where you were surprised how much it changed like at all? Or was everything like makes sense? Looks good. Keep going, Mike. I know the, the surprise was how much it looked the same. It was, it yeah. was really weird. Dude. Everyone's driving around in cars from the 80s. And, yeah, I did like some of the old Hollywood nods they had like they had Harold Lloyd's was it his star or his handprints? Mm-hmm. It was kind of yeah. cool. Then they had um, theater with the uh, marquee that had uh, what was it on there? Yeah, it had Evil Dead, uh, Dead and Buried, and Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. yeah, that was a really cool nod. Did you see the vehicle from Damnation Alley was like in the background? Like, no. This big, yeah, this big crazy vehicle. Like when he was just driving by. I don't know if it was like a Hollywood prop place or a place like to rent vehicles, but it was just like all like packed up, like hanging in the background, like in this uh, like parking lot. It was really strange. Like, I wonder if they even knew like that's what was going on in the background or it was just like, well, time to shoot here. Was this really another interesting thing that this movie has going for it? It may have been shoot here because I did read that there's a lot of classic sci-fi vehicles and cars, classic movie cars that he could find that he would try to force into like the background of shots and stuff. So maybe that was intentional. I'm not sure. I bet it was. Yeah. This movie is like the film equivalent of jingling keys in front of a child to keep its attention because there's so this is so much going on like it, it, it's good at the same time it is it's a little bit exhausting at times as well right while he is out on his trip we meet Cindy as she is on the road and then yeah, they get in an elevator be- together and there's a funny funny bit in the elevator yes because when you, we first meet her she is uh, she cheers for Mike because he tells off like a bus driver or, or something like that. So this thing that you think is just like a throwaway, like, oh, it's just some woman cheering for him, whatever. And it turns out that she becomes the love interest. And in the elevator, she says to Mike, oh, I was your cheerleader. And he looks at her like, what are you, what? And this is in a packed elevator. And she says, This morning in the car, I gave you the clap. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Hi, hello. <laughs> Everyone. It's all like, these suits, and, that, and they're like, Whoo? Yeah, they, they all back away immediately. Like, yeah, that was good. Movie. It was. It has, its sexual humor is in, like, really good taste. And it's really funny, too, a lot of the times. I don't know if I. No, I actually. I laughed out loud at that. I mean, I yeah, wasn't, like, was good. rolling on the floor, but I, it was an unexpected gem in the movie. Mike gets his meeting. These producers, they get all worked up because, like, he's acting in his demo that he shows them like oh you're not you're an actor we want an effects man he's like well i can i do the effects yeah he said like i like i'm a filmmaker i sometimes act in my movies because i'm available and i'm cheap that's how things get done when you're in the early stages (laughs) you do everything you can yeah because you can't depend on other people a lot of the time so you just you know people's schedules are all over the place but you know what your schedule is so you just that's when you do it and that's i think that's really how Mike lives his life. This isn't so much a movie as it is a biography of this guy, or at least how he sees himself. That's 
what it seems like to me. He put his all into this movie, and it's very, very obvious. So this Lucky Striker producer likes him. The Ron Jeremy guy likes Mike. The Harvey guy doesn't like him. And then Mike hands them a script for a movie he wants to do, and it just bl- kind of blows the deal. And they send him packing. Yeah, because... Does I hear he brings a script? What? Ah! Yeah, it's really odd that these Hollywood uh, producers don't understand that people do multiple things in Hollywood because you think about it, being a triple threat is a good thing, but apparently being a triple threat behind the camera is bad for them. I don't know. It doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a joke on how you get to the top execs and you can't believe some of the the criticisms, the weirdness, and the big misunderstanding about movies happens. Because sometimes you get people that don't even... They're in it for the money game, and they don't really get quality aspect. They get what makes money. So, like, a lot of times, the biggest thing when you're in, like, a pitch meeting, pitching a movie, is you got to take this movie that had critical and financial success and cross it with this other movie that had critical and financial success. And then you weave... It's like, you say, it's... Oh, this one one it's harry potter meets uh, roadhouse road yeah roadhouse but that's what <laughs> that's what you basically but, have to pitch your movie as something two things make it sound unoriginal because you're just basically mixing two things but to be fair i would be very interested in a movie that mixed harry potter with roadhouse it's it's a wizarding school for bouncers I want five of them. I want to make a whole connected universe out of them. I want seven spinoffs as well. Get to work. Well, I mean, after he leaves the office, there's this little unimportant part that I just wanted to point out. He goes to the Kodak store, and it's this, oh, little, yeah. it's this little kiosk-like thing out in the middle of a parking lot. But he goes in, it's like a TARDIS. It's this huge store. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I guess, that's, I guess that's supposed to be a joke. And it's, I don't know, it didn't make me laugh like the clap line, but it was, it was kind of odd they did I wonder that. how many people noticed that because he walks in this tiny, tiny place. It's almost like a place you couldn't even go inside. You go up to like a counter and hand them your, fo- your film. Yeah, like maybe there's a room for one person. I, I do wonder if it was just like, oh, people won't know. Just just do it. Let's just, let's just get through it. Let's keep going. I don't Who knows? So like Mike's luck's not out yet. He gets another call from another producer who wants to meet with him. Who is this? He doesn't get to meet with the producer. He's with the secretary. And she too doesn't understand like, why are you in this movie? What's, you know, like this and. I've got film, yeah. oh, the film, the video, but his suitcase turns into a projector. He shows yet another demo. He's like Maxwell Smart, but he makes movies. Where it's just has <laughs> yes. all these like ridiculous gadgets that fold into something else, yes. Yeah, but she ends up, she kicks him out because he's not union. She pulls yeah. the big union thing. He comes back and they have this weird sequence where he talks about, like, I know what you did. And they have the producer who's and her and they're like in S&M gear. And, yeah, th- that and seemed... she's like, how'd you know? And he's like, special effects. <laughs> and that's it. That's the and end that's, of the scene. That is it. Yeah, so he doesn't get the job and he doesn't like really put her like, there's no comeuppance to her at all. This was a whole scene that could have been cut from the movie. And it's they not a long movie. They just had the producers at the beginning because 
This spawns the producers that he that turned him down first here that he might be going with this other studio and in a desperation because all the movies they want to show clips from in this show that they're producing, the special effects extravaganza, turn them down or are way too expensive to use the clips. So mm-hmm. they end up having to go to Mike and they're afraid that the other studio that he just went to might take him even though they've rejected him because he's not union. Which leads Mike to going to try to apply for the union which leads to a hilarious gag which is awfully truthful about him applying for first you know the effects union but he's acting in it so he's got to go to the actors union and then he's doing these kind of effects so he's got to go to the animators union but he's filming the animation so he's got to go to the camera union and there's a great line that says how do I get into the union well you need to be a member of the union in order to get into the union which is hilarious which is absolutely true with union projects and how things work out there yeah that was really an opus of frustration that whole scene that could only be made by someone that who's worked in the industry or has tried to work yes. in the industry and is just just and very frustrated each each union desk was themed differently like they had different lightings different angles different co- yeah. like characters different you know it's it was pretty funny the way they set because the animator guy it was all dark around he's very wild and yeah yeah, yeah. guy and then you know the the cameraman one had a, a specific like crazy angle and yeah didn't the, like the director's union wasn't he wearing like a beret or yes, something i feel yes, like he was yes, yeah exactly yeah surprised he didn't have a megaphone yeah so now we get to the crux of the movie where the producers bring him in to offer it to him and they say ah you're hired blah blah, blah. they get you know He's got his lawyer friend or his his manager from with him. They get all excited. They leave, and the producers make the bet. Lucky Strike bets twenty five thousand dollars that he can do it. He's gonna he's gonna make this happen for us for like no money and all this. And then Harvey is like, well, I bet he won't for twenty five thousand dollars. And then they come back. They're like, wait, they didn't tell us how much our budget was. How much are we getting paid? And they go back to them, and Harvey's just like, ah, just get out of here. It's all covered. We're fine. Yeah, like we'll send you the papers tomorrow or whatever. Just just get out. Here, just go start making it. First step's really weird. He wants he goes to get music first. He goes to his buddy who's working at a pizza place who, who also like, has a studio. He looks like the ultimate 1980s man. He's got that long black hair with the mustache. He looks like the, he looks kind of like represented the lead singer of Hard, hard Rock Zombies. <laughs> hint, hint listeners, that's coming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, his his, uh, his friends like, well, they don't use non-unionized musicians, so I've I've always been turned down for their music. You want to do stop motion with mu- with singing and because he said that if you do music, they can't cut it. Something like that. I don't... Yeah, they can't cut it out, or I can't remember exactly. We should mention that they're hired on the basis of doing the hardest special effects possible. Uh, Stop motion with pixelation. That's it! That's exactly what I want! It's such a challenge, he... You know they can't do okay. it, and he gets twenty five thousand. If that's the greatest challenge, this movie must have been a bitch to make because stop motion with pixelization is in most. It's in every scene, right? And I think the producer offers you got to front this, the money for the the project, and I'll pay you back afterward but you get free studio space. So he ends up having a garage sale, selling off his Fantastic Four comic books and some Mickey Mouse things. Yeah, it looks like that was from like an actual short or or like a bumper, a promo for the Disney Channel. That's what it looks like because it's a satellite, but it's in the shape of Mickey Mouse's head. And when... I don't know, someone's talking to him about buying something at his garage sale, and he... 
just kind of wanders off in a daydream as he's prone to do during the entire movie. And he just imagines uh, this short or this, this uh, promo or bump or whatever from the Disney channel of this Mickey Mouse satellite. And he's actually holding it in his hand, too. So this guy, this isn't just a passion project. This guy has actually done work in this field. I mean, it is a passion project because it's what he can do. But it just it's another part. It's like another demo reel just like thrown in there like during the movie just to show you see he can do even more work it's just nuts please hire me yeah exactly this whole thing is a demo reel basically yeah yeah then they go to they, they go to the studio the film lot and find out that it's like four thousand dollars a day and they're not getting it for free so they make the uh, the option to film in the garage yeah his his mother's garage his mother's yeah garage cindy comes back in the picture because he goes out to come up with a song he leaves to come up with an idea for what to shoot because they still don't know what to shoot at this time and he goes out and he starts whistling on a hiking trail and Cindy and her friend yeah so they meet there and we have another song it's a Wizard of Speed and Time song yes exactly he just it wasn't even like he looked at something like I'm inspired it was just like he, he was whistling and then he talked to Cindy and then she and her friend left and then all of a sudden I know what I'll do it was just kind of like there was no no seed of inspiration it just like just happened and There's a wizard of speed and time stepping out by the Hollywood scientist singing the joy and love he's found and bring it all to movie town. And he gets to frolic during it by the Hollywood sign, which they don't allow you to get that close to the Hollywood sign anymore. I mean, yeah. you'd have to be a big production to get that close, probably. But. Yeah, I think a, a lot of this was was guerrilla filmmaking, and I mean that's kind of what the process of the of the short that they're making in the movie it really is because they shoot without permits, you know, yes. and because because they uh, they're not union or they cost too much or. Well, the, the producer producers. even tells him, eh, just go do it. Because they filmed their entire short, which is 1,624 shots to do the stop motion. They get it all done in, like, record time. Yeah, and no crap. They week. had to, Lucky Striker at the same time is trying to film some filler for the special. And he's got all these people in, like, costumes of, like, planets. Yeah. And yeah, it's like a musical number at the beginning of this Cindy, special effects show. Yeah, Cindy is in that production. It's, it's just this wild, weird, just looks just like a bunch of bullshit. It looks <laughs> it looks like the worst opening ever. It it looks like it looks like the only thing that could make the Star Wars holiday special worse is what it looked like. Like it's people right. dressed as planets and meteorites and comets and the moon. And then there, there's a funny bit where there's the two girls dancing and he's like, "Who are they?" And they're like, "Oh, they're they're, they're meteors. They're and uh, they're what you asked for." He's he's like, "What?" And he's like, "You know, you said you wanted the rockets." And he's like, "I said rockets. I want yeah. rockets." <laughs> Which is funny because if you get some rockets, I would rather take the rockets than yeah. rockets. And then I, there's a guy you have to throw in. This woman dressed as an asteroid walks by. This guy dressed as Jupiter. He goes, eh, nice asteroid. Because you got to yeah, throw that one in there. Hilarious. Yeah, but that's what they're doing. And then the producers, they, they come over to see the progress the finished project that Mike has come up with. And we have the ultimate Wizard of Speed and Time song. 
in that and that video that video that's impressive yeah yeah especially being for being shot in a a garage and they don't know that at the time right you know they you know they're like all right great and then he shows them where they shot it and, and it's furious yeah the producer hates harvey hates it even though he just saw some of the product so he can tell what it already looks like so at that point why does he care he already knows what better he already People knows what it looks more like. impressed if it, they go and believe it or not that was shot in a garage yeah he should be excited that they're saving just a stupid amount of money right so he's not losing twenty five thousand and counting but yeah then he he slips and falls on the set and they just basically destroy it yeah all of his work which if you if you know anything about stop well you said it yourself that how many frames that they had to 1, shoot 1624 for that yeah. little bit that was probably yeah. 45 seconds to a minute and a half yeah so, exactly that's just all gone because the crooked producer just went in there and tripped and knocked all these film canisters down but mike's is cool he's just like yeah, we'll set it up. He just tells him, he's like, Harvey, you can't be on the set. Harvey later goes to, he gets to a bar and gets like trashed and decides, okay, well, he did that. So he tells him he has to do location shootings. He has to do a bigger thing than this. He has to add to it. Which is yeah, just, he's with, setting Mike up for a bigger fall. Less trying time. To There's no time to do it. The permit, he's asking about permits. He said, ah, you don't need permits. Right after that, he hired, he finds this Latino and this like stereotypical Canadian in the bar that he hires, like, hey, you guys, we there's this this dude filming random stuff. I need you to screw it up. Yeah, they're like, like, oh, oh okay, Holmes. <laughs> oh, and the other guy's like, oh, okay, yeah. Really? Yeah, the, o- the only way he could have been more Canadian is if he was holding a hockey stick dressed as a Mountie drinking a Molson. And calling that people be- hosers. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that yeah. So he hires them to d- disrupt. It's probably the stupidest plot line in the entire movie. Yeah, it, it's a it's a plot that I don't even know. Is it important that these thugs are hired and they uh, they they break into a studio and they don't disrupt anything with Mike though. They're always ancillary. They're they're there. They're present. They get because they get them dressed up as cops, these British Keystone cop-looking guys, and mm-hmm. they get a, they get a, those those uniforms and a police car from a movie set. Yeah, it looks like out. it's not like a Studebaker, but it's very close to that kind of style of like old-time cop car. Yeah, but they're always present during Mike's stuff, but they never really interact with him at all. So they're yeah. they're almost they 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 have a subplot with other cops, but they have nothing to do with Mike. Yeah, the the actual cops themselves have more to do with Mike than the fake thug cops. Yes, yes. Again, a, a, another part of the movie that could have just been trimmed out and the movie would have been more or less fine. But this thing is only like an hour and a half. So right. 
it's not like he was trying to pat it out because it didn't need to be padded. It was just stuff that... I can see where it seemed like a good idea and there was more throwing more antagonists in there to make mm-hmm. it seem tougher, but they really feel like a afterthought with everything because you try to think of the important parts of this film and you easily could forget about them. By the way, how much did you love the Wizard uh, of Speed and Time's uh, cloak? I dig it. For some reason, it looks cheap and silly, but it works. Yeah, and what's amazing is uh, Mike, when he puts it on, he looks nothing like what he usually does. No, he's a completely, completely different person. Yeah, anyone that says the Superman uh, effect of taking off the glasses wouldn't work needs to see this movie because he does look like a completely different person. He holds himself differently. He's more confident. He has more super duper stop motion abilities than he usually yeah, does. Was- just the look in his eyes. Yeah. If he wasn't the wizard of speed and time, you could cast him as a mad scientist because he has this like ins- like this look in his eyes that's inspiration and craziness all at the same time. But maybe he's too friendly to really be a true mad scientist. I don't know. He would be like a like a Disney Channel mad scientist. Maybe it would be the best that he could uh, be in that uh, the area. He takes that cloak and he goes go on location filming, starting with the Batcave. Yeah, Bronson Cave, where every uh, science fiction movie from the beginning of film until the like early '90s, you if you saw a cave, it was probably Bronson Cave, and they even mentioned that like all the different things they do, but it's mostly well known as. Uh, the cave from Batman where the Batmobile comes blowing out of it. Yeah, And that scene won my nostalgia. I was like, wow! But there's also a funny bit there because they start filming and immediately this helicopter shows up. It's like, we got a no permit film shoot coming on! Stop what you're doing! <laughs> and then they put this like green tarp over their like camera. It's like, oh, we can't see anymore. They must have left. But there's constant... <laughs> every time they go to shoot outside, like... The fuzz is on them about a permit. Yeah, because apparently the police are patrolling every area in L.A. You see for camera, anyone that's you gotta, shooting. But we get back. To, uh, they're doing. They're struggling with this planetary dance number that's supposed to go with the effects show. And Cindy gets recognized by Harvey. He's like, I saw you at Mike's house. You can't be in both. You're fired. Yeah, even though it's a special, or she's dancing for she's... the special that Mike <laughs> is making the short for. Yes, which makes no sense. But she goes to Mike. They go to have this private talk, and it says the bedroom scene. Yes, yes. Yeah, this, uh, this movie is not subtle at all. It's telling you what's about to happen. They share a moment because they're having a casting session for like extras for the Wizard of Speed and Time thing. And her and Mike share a moment. They almost kiss and his friend comes in and interrupts it. Cindy's kind of pissed. And then she comes out of the bedroom and her friend is there. And she's like, casting couch, huh? And his friend goes, no, actually it was a bunk bed. That's right, because he is, he's probably an asexual human being. Probably. That's not a bad thing. It's just, I, I don't see Mike Jitlov as a romantic lead. Maybe he's someone that doesn't know how to express his love or something. But, but you know, he, he doesn't shake hands, and that is off-putting to people. And, like, he he's just, just doesn't. It's not like he has Asperger's or, or, or anything like that. Because he feels, he feels real emotion. Like, he, he says, like, in that bedroom scene with Cindy that... Uh, his work gives him a way to feel good, and when they feel that way, he feels that way too. 
I thought that was really sweet. It's another thing that makes you want to root for him. And I, uh, I'm not going to say I welled up. I'm just going to say I felt for him when he said that. That was very nice. They go to they go to film the scene with the women extras, and that's when we're introduced to the, the cops we were talking about earlier. And, Colin, who is one of those cops? Tubbs from Miami Vice, the one that isn't Don Johnson from Miami Vice. I could not believe that. And it's kind of funny. Like, you just think, oh, it's just a throwaway thing that it's, uh, it's Tubbs. But he's in the movie from here on out. He's a regular part of the movie. Yes, because this cops, they spot Mike filming. Uh, they think they spot a camera, and they put this orange jacket blanket around the camera. And then all the girls swarm around it and sing happy birthday to cover up that they're filming without a permit. Because it would take a master detective to look through that facade, wouldn't it? I mean, come on, whatever. Right. And then the, the female cop in there, she's all, she's complaining about life, complaining about her husband. She's basically sitting on his lap in the car. Like, there's yeah. plenty of space on the other side. Now, she um, is down to bone. That is that is clear. Yeah, she, she, she doesn't even some care about the no permit filming. She's like, isn't it time for us to get a donut? And they go to get a donut, and the two doofballs, the... The fake thug cops. The, the super Mexican Latino and the ultra Canadian Canuck steal <laughs> the cop car, and they're... The police, they come out and they're like, oh, what happened here? So they're now stuck with the movie prop cop car. And the cops are, have one with a dog in it still. And I think like a day goes by and they still haven't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the time frame of this movie is kind of difficult to pin down. And so then there's another film sequence where they're filming The Wizard of Speed and Time jumping at a wall. Like, like next to an IRS building. <laughs> yes. And apparently Mike's jumping uh, against the wall shakes the place or I don't know. Yeah. And then like this tour bus stops are like, oh, they must be somebody famous filming a movie and cops, not cops, stop by and Mike notices. So he tells everybody it's the Hollywood jumping wall and everybody yeah. jumps on it as he escapes. It's really. It, it, is a, it is a clumsy sequence. It's a sequence that doesn't even need to be in the movie. I, I don't think at all. They Mike starts animating and what i like about this we get to see the process of this film he's making we don't realize it at the time when you look back you're like oh they really showed us every step of the way to make this thing while there is a lot of jargon that's like specific you know wording phrasing about and some definitions about how to do stuff it never feels hammered in and you're watching without feeling like you're watching him make it but you're getting every step of how he's doing this in such a flawless seamless way that's really cool that by the end you see you get to appreciate that finished project because we get to see him like hand animating these cells of film like where he puts the little glass on and he animates mm-hmm. and he wipes off and he animates while we're doing this the producer's getting like a fight especially with, like the investors because things are not going good yeah because they've seen like some of the excellent planetary dancing footage and they that, and that's when they start getting upset about it yeah. Then the next day, like Lucky Striker calls Mike and he needs like the footage right away. And Mike, of course, has sold his bike in his garage sale. So he hops on the suitcase and takes a trip. Yes. Yeah, so another one of these wacky Maxwell smart gadgets. He, he puts the, the film reel in the suitcase and then he rides the suitcase across L.A. to get to the film studio in time. And isn't he, like, he's also chased by the... He's chased by the fake cops. Right, yeah. And I think the real cops, well, because he goes through, the suitcase 
ends up going through the car wash and then I think the fake cops they get onto it they end up going to the studio and they get into an action movie set mm-hmm, yeah there's a bunch of blanks being shot and the fake cops are like going crazy it's like it's a movie set no one's getting shot you should know that there's a camera right there and like grips and lights and just how are you not knowing that the movie set furthering the stupidity of these guys and unnecessariness but I think the real cops end up showing up and getting their car back but Mike goes he gets the film but he didn't get money for it but the film gets taken and placed away from him so he goes to this party at Harvey's house up in the hills with a pool to like confront him about hey I need my money and it's really weird to see this side of him because you know while he's this nice ho-hum guy loves his craft so passionate you don't mess with Mike he's gonna he's gonna gonna take names yeah a real fire gets lit inside this guy but I understand why because but we're for it it's not yeah absolutely I mean this this movie is made by someone who is who is frustrated They're, they're not willing to give up but they are frustrated with Hollywood and that's really the scene where it comes out like him making the actual confrontation about how frustrated he is with Hollywood and then like he and the um, the producer they get in a fight this producer is using the money that was left over from producing this special for this huge lavish party but he and Mike get in a fight and he throws Mike into a pool and I don't just mean like oh look what a fun time we're having I'm in the pool I've got my clothes on he throws him into the pool and Mike goes to the bottom of the pool yeah goes to the bottom of the pool and he's down there uh, according to this did this himself he stayed down there and held his breath for two minutes during this scene and it is one shot that does not move he's under there all the dialogue at that point after he goes under the pool is 80 yard yeah i so. wonder if it was just if he even said anything during that time if it was just like just move around a bunch and kind of act like you're saying this you don't actually have to say it just act like you are because you don't see anyone's mouth during yeah, this whole time. Yeah, and you can time. tell the, the dialogue was not recorded outside. It was in an echoey room. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of filler stuff. But what gets Mike to come out of the water, the guy says, okay, I got to check. I got to check. And Mike comes out of the water. And then Mike ends up throwing Harvey into the water himself. Yes. He's like, how'd you do that? How'd you, you know, well, he's like, here, why don't you try? Yeah, well, he yells it at him. Mike yes. yells at the producer, why don't you try it? And, yeah. Toss him in. But the check he gets bounces. Yeah, like the, the next day. The next day. So they try to get him for more money, and he wants to write a check or something, and they're like, no, cash. He's like, well, we're going to cash. They have cash, and they're like right in front of a bank. Yeah, the bank that they just tried to, you know, cash the bogus check. Yeah. He gets the film, he gets his money. And they have the big premiere at his mom's house because it's going to air on TV. He, like, puts their signs all over town. He writes a message. He writes the Wizard of Speed and Time in laser on the moon. To promote his it. mom's front porch. <laughs> Again. And people this... are like, oh, I need to go turn the TV on because it's the FX <laughs> special. Apparently the flyers that they posted on street signs or a signpost or whatever, that was not enough. A laser advertisement on the moon. Uh, again, he should really get in contact with the government or, I don't know, 3M, just some someone else. He's got better things he can do. And so they go to watch the, the crappy dance number happens. While this is, the movie was made in the 80s, it takes place in 77, and I gotta say, it's such a 70s like special. <laughs> show with like the synchronized yeah. dance just no backdrop nothing just fog machine and black they, yeah something that could only be made when there are only three channels bored that's what people, that special is yeah, 
yeah. bored people dancing and singing and stuff. Like <laughs> those things used to be on all the time. People loved them, but yeah. man, it's, that's back when it was well. I, wa- I can watch TV or go to bed. So they decided to watch TV. <laughs> God help. This is on. So he did nail that 70s aspect with that. So he goes to watch it, and immediately it's interrupted with a presidential address about 90 billion kinds of taxes. Mike is furious. Mike is frustrated with Hollywood. He hates the government. You expect him to go to that one drawer we haven't seen him open, and there's a pistol in there. (laughs) Exactly. About the breaking point for this guy. At this point, it could have turned into falling down. That's what right. it could, could have happened. He's got a look. He's got that glasses, the jacket, which he never changes clothes in this, by the way. Yes. He's always got that green jacket. And I think one of the producers always says, what, does this guy ever change clothes? But yes, he's, he's like Ernest. He only has one pair of clothes he wears, no matter what. So he, go, he goes to his room and he grabs all these little film boxes that are on the shelf, like labeled stock footage. And he goes out and just starts burning them because this guy is just, He's, he's given done. all he's done. But then, like, Cindy comes out to comfort him. They go for a drive. And the presidential address stops just in time for his stuff to show. You get to see the culmination of everything. And it's a re- it looks really yeah. great. Which is really neat because you get to see what the stuff that they were shooting is in the short. It's almost like you're watching a making of documentary while you're actually watching a movie. It's kind of like that. It's pretty right. neat. If you know stuff about, like you said, making this stuff, it's so impressive to see how this guy... Like this guy He's not just stop-motioning figures and inanimate objects. He himself, a human, is being stop-motion and moving his mouth and singing and stuff. It's crazy. It's so much more... I don't know if it's more difficult than using, like, miniatures to make stop-motion or not, but it takes a special kind of patience to move your body that way. I cannot imagine having to do that. It's nuts. And we somehow, we wind up in a theater. There's stuff in here that breaks the fourth wall, but it's, I don't know, it's just such a weird way. It's not like they look into the camera and go like, hey, what do you think of this one, folks? Do you think that's, what a kooky predicament. It's just like, turns out that we're watching them I, I don't even know. I can't even. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's freaking. And everybody I don't know. in the theater is like cosplaying something. There's Captain America's there. There's film canister hat man. And then they try for a joke for the end credits, and it just it doesn't work out. I yeah, don't like it, it turns out that at the very end, it was like the people in the movie were watching the movie they had just made, and it was that script that Mike had given the producers at the very beginning of the movie. And he said, it's a good thing I didn't throw the script away. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> Mike, yippee. Thank goodness you're around. You made our lives better. And then the yes. credits start to roll. And <laughs> they're just all dicking around for, I don't know, half really, the credits. Yeah, there's nothing funny about, like, I was like is there going to be some extra joke here? No. Just... Yeah, as soon as the credits roll, you can just stop watching the movie. It's totally yeah. fine. It's yeah. them sitting, looking at each other, just random, random talking. I, I, I do want to give, I, I should have given people this warning earlier, but if you have a headache 
before you start watching this movie, don't watch it. I made that terrible mistake. I had a slight headache when I was watching this and I, you know, I, I'd taken some, you know, medicine to hopefully get through it. Nope. The the quick cuts and all the flashing lights that happen in this movie constantly made my headache even worse. I had to, I think like two hours after this movie, I had to like lay down in the dark and just close my eyes and just let the headache just work itself out. Yeah, it needs the epilepsy warning on it. Absolutely does. Yeah, if if you've ever watched Japanese animation and you get a little woozy, just just don't watch this movie. Okay, now we move to our segment called Bonus Features. This is where we go through the IMDb trivia section on the film and pick out a few tidbits and we kind of discuss them, maybe call BS on them, or just give our thoughts. So, with that said, the entire the entire movie from pre-production, filming, post-production, plus research took over five years to complete. Wow. Yeah, I, I believe it. Because like, like we said, it's a, clearly a passion project for this guy. Right, and I've I worked on a movie that the director would save up his money, buy as much film stock, because he wanted to shoot on film, so he'd buy as mm-hmm. much film stock as he could, go out and shoot as much of the movie as he could, go back, you know, save up the money, just keep repeating. And he had a cast that he had to keep together for like five years in order to do this. And it was crazy, but, you know, I buy, you know, I buy it because film is not cheap. And Jitlov, in the 80s, you don't want to shoot on video. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely true. So this was probably shot from 1983 to 1988. I'm sure that he probably just got like jobs in between doing this just so he could pay to keep this thing moving along and it was i mean who knows how much money was put into this uh, other than his own i don't there's a couple it's funny because there's a couple george lucas references in here where i believe the manager agent his name is lucas his last name is mm-hmm. Lucas, and he goes, oh, no relation. And then yeah. George Lucas later calls the producers at the secretary, but they're too busy to talk to him. So I was thinking about him, like, if this was from 1983 to 1988, Lucas went from when they started the filming, he had Return of the Jedi, and, you know, the Star Wars trilogy, American Graffiti, to his name, and by the end of this movie, when it dropped, it was to Howard the Duck. <laughs> Yeah, we should have seen the writing on the wall at that point. It was pretty funny. Another bit, uh, in several of the shots inside the police car, the quote-unquote dog in the back seat is actually Mike Jitlov holding up a corduroy jacket in a vague dog shape. No. I don't... (laughs) Far away shots. I mean, close-ups in the car. Yeah. Well, yeah, clearly that was a dog close-up. That's nuts. That's so funny. They don't even need... They don't even need the dog. I don't understand why they even put a dog in the movie. It doesn't do anything. It just seems like it was more work. Maybe that's why they put the... He just had the corduroy jacket. Because he realized, like, you know what? I'm tired of having this dog in here. Let's just... or, Or maybe over the course of the five years, like, something happened to the dog... So he needed, just like, well, we said there was a dog in the movie, so we got to put a dog in the movie. And you know what? I, I couldn't tell. I didn't know I didn't know that tidbit, and I, I wouldn't deny yeah. it. Yeah, he is a wizard of speed and time. He can, he can turn coats into and dogs. Animal tricks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, this movie is based on a three-minute demo reel Mike Jitlov made in 1977 in an attempt to get a job at Disney Studios. 
Oh, that's what it was for? Okay, that's cool. I saw the, the, the short. It's more or less the short that you see at the end of the movie, the whole thing he's trying to make to begin with. So I wonder if, like, the... Uh, oh, man. The music that, that accompanies it is so Disney. Yeah. There's a you know, lot of little... There's a lot of synthesized music in this, but there's a lot of that, like, 1930s, 40s flair to some of this uh-huh. that makes it sound like homely Disney. You could see some girl going off to the, the market to get some apples or something from mm-hmm. her farmhouse. Well, I wonder that then if like that whole experience i mean that's probably what this whole movie is about about him trying to make this stuff for disney that's probably what it is and he got the runaround from some of the producers there because disney during the 80s they were a bunch of dickheads especially the animators they they, they were, were just on like their a, downslide they didn't come back to what 89 with little mermaid yeah yeah that was yeah the beginning of their their renaissance yeah but like like they, they really like held people back like um like tim burton like they had him do stuff for fox and the hound like the like the in between in between drawings i can't remember what they're called right now and they also had but yeah john lasseter worked at disney and they kind of held him back too and that's one of the reasons that he broke off from them and uh i mean eventually what led to pixar it wasn't like i'm gonna stop working here and then he went to pixar led you know led to that (laughs) yeah that yeah that's really interesting i didn't know it was it was for that that's wild that's that's really wild all right finally woody allen has a cameo at the one one hour nine minute 32 second mark he gives mike jitlov directions to the main office that's uh, there's through this multiple times it's not there, yeah there's a woody allen look-alike yeah, the first time i saw it i was like oh cute they're making a little nod to woody allen because there's this guy dressed like you know woody allen from annie hall and a number of his own his films mm-hmm. and He's sitting on a corner reading a book. That he gets directions, gives directions to Mike, and then he gives them to the cops. Also, and what would Woody Allen be doing in L.A. anyway? He doesn't make his movies no, in he L.A. Go to L.A. He hates and, L.A., yeah. And it just, I looked at it, the guy is too tall. It just, and the the look they have is too young for Woody Allen at that time. But I, I, I read that, I was like, wait, what? I, I just thought it was a, a joke piece in there. And I and then I so I had to go back and check it and I was like no I was right the first time no uh, yeah so IMDb that, that, delete that yeah you could put there is a nod Woody Allen because there's also a nod to Roger Ebert in there when a bunch of people are looking at the ad on a telephone pole of the that Mike posts out for the Wizard and Speed and Time special there's a little Roger Ebert guy but there's nothing in IMDb that Roger Ebert makes a cameo because it's because clear it's not him it's clear it's not Roger Ebert. Yeah. I thought the Woody Allen was clear it's not Woody Allen, but... Yeah, some people are stupid. Now we're on to our rating, the moment you should all be waiting for. After each movie, Colin and I will give it our rating. Since we're a cult movie podcast, we decided to flavor it that way. Our options are to stay with our family. We don't join the cult. We don't buy into it we don't want anything to do with it we're moving on we're converted we like the movie we think it's great terrific we enjoy it we get what people like about it and then there's drinking the kool-aid which means you are all about the movie you're one of its biggest fans you want to share it with everyone yeah you're you're going down with the ship so cullen how do you rate the wizard of speed and time I'm converted. I I liked it. I'll definitely tell people about it just because it's such a bizarre thing that just I don't know. It, it's it's great. I I would love to have a Wizard of Speed and Time shirt. I don't want the cloak because that's too much. But there's there's a couple of times where it shows like a Wizard of uh, logo, and I'd I'd like that. That look that looks fun. I liked it. Yeah. 
What about you? What did you? How, how do you sit? Uh, I too am going on the converted. I really enjoyed this movie. I watched it multiple times. I enjoyed it. I think the special effects on here are probably would probably go underappreciated, but I think they're spectacular. Jitlov's got a lot of charisma. Uh, the movie is overly charming. Um, there's a lot of stuff about this movie that shouldn't work, but it either does work or it overcomes its shortcomings. It's a really silly, goofy movie. I don't know if it's for everyone, but if you are a fan of movies about making movies like a state. Maine or Day for Night to name a couple you should definitely check this one out this one goes from more the special effects side and a lot of the hard business angle in the troubles of Hollywood something I you know it's never going to happen this is going to be a lost film that never makes format jump but I would definitely pick it up if it came to even DVD. Yeah, we saw it on YouTube. If you look up The Wizard mm-hmm. of Speed and Time, you can find it on there. It's not so, It's not tough. The, the whole thing, it's not like segmented. It's just one clip that you can just watch. Yes, and you could also, if you want to own a physical copy, there are used VHS copies that run for about $8. I think this movie has a fantastic poster, too, by the way. I liked it a lot. Yeah, the poster, like, you you know exactly what you're getting into when you, you see the poster. It's absolutely... A- accurate to what you see yeah have you cullen have you seen the website i have not seen the website for the wizard of speed and time i assume it looks like a mike jetlov made a website it looks it maybe was in the era of geo cities and got transferred over yeah it is crazy cheap looking and i saw on there that he was selling posters for like three thousand dollars a piece oh god that's awful no no i bought a poster of mystery science theater 3000 the movie and that's like one of like the proper like double-sided oh the one sheet yeah I got one of those, and that was like $30, I think. That was yeah. years after it was made. So. I don't know if he's touched this website since the 90s, maybe. His last credit on IMDb is 2002 for like a for a Star Wars fan film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, his, his big claim to fame, like after Wizard of Speed and Time, he did some effects work on Ghost. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I wonder if he's just one of those guys that after like computers became more prominent, he just... Yeah, he he just didn't have an interest in doing special effects anymore, or or what? He just he prefers physical effects as opposed to computers. I don't know. He's not a digital guy. You yeah. can tell he's a very analog human being, and that's not a bad thing. It's just who he is. Well, it's crazy because he has more acting credits than he does. Really? He's got a unique look. He does. I it definitely, well, I mean, I definitely agree Well, it's not that. that unique because you, you do see his brother in this movie, and they look almost exactly alike. It's yeah. haunting. I just wonder if he's got a lot of work that's uncredited because most of his work is, aside from Ghost, it's the Wizard of Speed and Time Animato and the Wizard of Speed and Time short. I bet it is uncredited. Yeah, that's unfortunate because he's he's really talented. I just yeah. but he, he got to make his dream project. He made a feature film. That's a heck of an achievement. I know yeah. when you're looking on the outside and you say, "Oh, well, he doesn't have many credits. He made one." crummy little film back then but making that one film is a heck of achievement whether it's a good movie a bad movie you got to produce direct write and star in a feature film it's a heck of an achievement and ironically after making this movie he could join all of those unions that he was turned down for <laughs> right in the movie huh? we've come to the end of this episode of cult cinema cavalcade I want to thank you for joining Cullen and myself. I thank no one. 
I'll think. I don't know. I'll, I'll soften up. Okay. Mike's rubbed off on me. I'll thank people. Thank you. On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing the 1968 sci-fi film starring Jane Fonda, Barbarella. For those of you who'd like to watch along or see the film before the next episode, Barbarella can be found on Blu-ray, DVD, VHS, Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, Vudu, and Flixster, among other places. So we'll see you next time, and now stay tuned for the trailer for next week's film, Barbarella, the trailer that actually trails. Meet the most beautiful creature of the future. Her name is Barbarella, and she makes science fiction something else. Jane Fonda is Barbarella. Barbarella is a five-star, double-rated, astro-navigatrix Earth girl whose specialty is... Love! Shall I tell you what I would like? I think I know. Her top secret mission is a real wing-dinger. Many dramatic situations begin with screaming. Could you hand me a garment? See Barbarella do her thing with the nice angel. With the warm, friendly ice man. With a cold, evil black queen. Hello, pretty, pretty. With a charming hand-to-hand Romeo. See Barbarella do her thing in the wild, excessive machine. Sort of nice, isn't it? In the biting birdcage, in the chamber of dreams, in the labyrinth of love, in the deadly dollhouse, in the palace of pleasure. adventure beyond your imagination when you get lost in space with Barbarella.
Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. You can find more of Cullen's work on the A Touch of Crass podcast, also found on the Dead Radio Entertainment Network, and on Twitter at my name is Cullen. You can find my work at Naptown Nerd, and I also post reviews on whysoblue.com. My Twitter handle is at btpeters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf, found on the freemusicarchive.org website. The movie in today's discussion is property of its respective studio and no infringement is intended. Please join us again in two weeks for our next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade.